0: Welcome to the Faithbridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org/postscript.
1: Well, they said even God cannot sink this ship. To our ears, more than 100 years later, seems kind of crazy that they would have said that, right? But a little more than 100 years ago, the Titanic was the grandest b- work of man at that point in time. You had 12,000 men who worked for two years continuously to construct that ship. By today's standards, it's actually dwarfed by other cruise ships, but it's the biggest thing they'd ever seen. And to them, it was invincible. And subsequently, when it was time that Sunday to have the the fire drill and to do the, the, the lifeboat drill, They forewent the exercise, said, we will not even need that. And of course, just before midnight that night, they all discovered it was not invincible as it struck that iceberg and went down. Sort of brings to mind the words from Proverbs 16. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall pride it's a real problem it's a problem that you have see i say that because i know even right now you're you're thinking I really wish that thus and so had come today because they need to hear this sermon. See, we all do that. It's like, you know, they need it. I know they need this sermon on pride, but I'm doing okay on this one, which is why we need, all of us need <clears throat> what Jonathan Edwards referred to as, as the symptom, we need to put the magnifying glass in, deep into our souls so that we might see the symptoms of pride, because it's really only the symptoms of pride that we're able to see that awaken us to the fact, oh my gosh, I've got this problem too. Let me share with you some of the symptoms of pride, fault-finding. Pride is what causes us to see the faults in others, right? Because, see, a truly humble Christian is too busy working on his own deficiencies or her own shortcomings before the Lord to have time to sit around pointing fingers at other people's faults, right? But I'm just wondering, have you ever done some fault-finding? And I'm not talking about fault-finding with the intention of... of Helping that person come in into an awareness of it and brokenness before the Lord and restoration before the Lord. I'm not talking about that kind of fault finding. I'm talking about just you sitting over there just pointing your finger. You ever done that? Or maybe joked about them or belittled someone or said something ill about them, spoke criti- spoken critically about somebody, looked down on them, compared yourself to somebody. Where you come out eh, just a little bit better. Or thought in your own mind about that person. What? A loser. If you've ever ever done any of those things, would you just go ahead and stand up right? No, not really. Because the truth is we've all done that, haven't we? Or, or what about, here's another symptom. Jonathan Edwards talked about these symptoms of pride. What about defensiveness? This is another symptom of pride. You ever got mad or defensive with somebody after they said something about you that you didn't think was right? You didn't like it. And because you thought you deserved better, you, you actually got all defensive about it. Your soul cries out, I'm not gonna stand for that. I deserve better. Yes, I know God says, don't try to vindicate yourself. I'll be your vindicator, but he's not doing it fast enough, so I'll take matters into my own hand. Thank you very much. You ever done that? Say hello to the pride that lurks inside your heart. It's the oldest sin in the universe, pride is. I mean, you go back to the, to the beginning, Adam and Eve. That was the problem, it was their pride that led them to say to each other, you know, God, you say this is the way to go, but we got this. We, we actually think we've got a better way. So you just sit back, Lord, and you just watch us go. It was pride that got them kicked out of the garden. And even before the garden, Pride is the, it's the oldest sin even in the angelic realm. You go back even before humanity and what did you have? You had the archangel of God, Lucifer, his right hand archangel who one day decides in his own mind, you know what? I think it's time for me to move into this position that God has. As Isaiah 14 says, I will ascend to the heavens. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I'll sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. I'll ascend above the tops of the clouds. I'll make myself like the most high. To which God said, no, you will not. And cast him out of heaven as Satan. But see, we do the same thing. Think about it. Have you never heard someone or even yourself said, I'll climb, I'll ascend. By this age, I should have this, or I should be positioned there, or I'll have that in my life. See, we all do the same thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard. You shouldn't you know, do your best. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a spirit, an attitude that's residing in our soul. Just listen to how frequently you use the words i me my mine and it might shock you it's the only pride is the only disease that makes everyone feel sick except the person who has it and subsequently it tears apart community meaningful communi- christian community And this is why Peter, as he's moving towards the end of this letter that we've been working our way through in 2016, 1 Peter, this is why he's getting to chapter 5. He's going to speak about pride because he knows this is going to tear your community apart. Remember the context. He's writing to these Christians who have fled for their lives. They're off in modern-day Turkey, hoping that they don't get beheaded or fed to the lions or burned like many of the Christians had in those days under Nero. And, but he's, and he's reminded them, hey, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember you're not headed for a hopeless end. You're headed for endless hope. Now that you have in mind that, let me remind you how to live. You live with each other in humility. That's essential for community because pride will tear apart the community. And this is what he's going to say. Let's look at 1 Peter 5. In verse five, starting in verse five B. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now, I want you to notice three things if you're taking notes today. Three things that we get from our text here in First Peter. The first thing he says is clothe yourselves... In humility. It's an interesting term he uses, clothe yourself. He was borrowing a word picture from slave market, which is not to say that Peter was endorsing or espousing slavery. No, no, no. He was just using a term that everybody understood that triggered a picture in everybody's mind back then. And it was this that anybody knew a slave put on an apron. It was the apron of slavery. And and, and they would clothe themselves in this apron. Brings to mind John 13, right? Where Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, what did he do? He, it says, took the clothing of humility, took the towel, took the basin, washed their feet, right? So Peter's using this same terminology. He's saying you've got to be clothed. J.B. Phillips translated, translated it as you've got to be clothed in the overalls of humility. Put that apron on. The overalls of humility. Now let me ask you, how are you doing at putting on the overalls of humility in your day in, day out life? See, we don't like to put on the clothes of humility, do we? Um, We would rather think of ourselves as superior than the next person. I read last week something about personalized license plates. Apparently, personalized license plates were first introduced in the state of Illinois. And when they were introduced, the DPS or DMV, whatever it is up there, had thousands of requests for the license plate that would be marked number one. Thousands of requests. They all wanted to be number one. So the official in charge of making the assignments couldn't figure out how to choose one person who would be number one and disappoint the thousands of others. And so he solved the problem by taking number one himself for his own license plate. (laughs) And Peter says, don't do that. Don't take number one. Instead, take the apron of humility. Clothe yourself in humility. That's an active uh, expression you have to actively put on those clothes why is it action why is there a motion in this i'll tell you why because unless you act your way into humility you won't get there so you will never just sort of think our way into a humble mindset so you so how do you act your way into it you surf that's how you put on the overalls. of you, you serve other people. As a matter of fact, the word humility means to get low. You have to actively get low. How do you get low? Serving, serving, serving. I remember learning this very memorably when I was in high school. Back in that season of my life, I was known not for being a preacher, any of those sorts of things. I was known for my piano skills. And so uh, being a pianist had won me a lot of accolades and awards and attention and popularity. Anytime I could get to a piano in front of people, I knew it was going to be a good day for me. And because uh, I was going to get to use my gift, my skills and all that sort of stuff and play piano. Well, I remember um, one day a lady phoned and said, could I hire you out for a banquet that I'm going to be holding and I'll pay you whatever it was for four hours if you would just sit and just play background music throughout the whole, the whole banquet. And the money was good. And I said, yes, I'd be happy to do that. So I got there and set up. I got to playing. And, and what I never anticipated is the utter disregard I was going to experience that night. (laughs) They hadn't come to hear me. It wasn't about me. The banquet was about something else. My job was just to sit over there in the corner and play for four hours beautiful music. And no matter how I tried, I mean, I was trying every song I knew to get a rise out of people, get a little bit of, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. They were giving me nothing and people were walking by me and I was looking up thinking they're gonna say, that is really good. And they just walk right by and never even acknowledge me. By the end of that fourth hour, I wanted to stand up on the piano bench and say, hey, would you show me some love over here? I've been working hard, my back is sore, and I'm not used to playing the piano and being ignored, all right? So (laughs) show me a little something right here. But as I was thinking back about that, you know, it occurred to me. That was a good day in my life. Because you know how it is when, when you're a kid and into teenage years, you can you can really think the world kind of revolves around you. But there comes a point in a person's life where you have to wake up and realize the world doesn't revolve around me. That was the day, first day I can remember ever putting on the overalls of humility. My job was to blend in to the woodwork, to be a servant And that's what Peter is saying. This is the posture. If you'll take this posture, Christian community will be so healthy. Things will just work the way that they're intended to work. But I won't deny it. I hate it every minute of it. <clears throat> and so will you. We don't like this, do we? But this is what the Lord. Calls us to put on the overalls of humility. How do you do it? Serving. What did Jesus say in Luke 14? When you're invited by somebody into a wedding feast, don't go and sit down in the place of honor, lest somebody more distinguished than you is invited. And then he who invited you both will have to come to you and say, I need you to give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. So when you're invited, you go and you sit in the lowest place so that when the host comes, he may say to you, Friend, you move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everybody who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus was telling them, look, the way the kingdom of earth operates is not the way it works in the kingdom of heaven. And you have to realize that. If you seek to be first, you will end up last. If you push to the front, you're going to be moved to the back. Instead of revenge, forgive. In my kingdom, it's different than in the kingdom of earth, Jesus was saying. Up is down, down is up. Rich is poor, poor is rich. First is last, last is first. It's a different system than what you're used to in the kingdom of earth. And don't you know that while Jesus was teaching them this, he was thinking in the back of his mind, oh, if only you could just open your eyes and see how I'm living this out for you. I who left heaven taking the form of a man putting on flesh and blood, coming down here to become one of you, to serve you, to go to the cross for your sins, not for anything I did, but for your sins, that I might rise triumphantly on the third day so that you might have life. Oh, that you could just see I'm living this for you, and I'm asking you come and follow me. Jesus, if anybody humbled himself, Jesus was, he did it. He modeled this for us and so Peter's writing to the Christians over there in Turkey and he's and to us and to us today and he's saying if you're really his follower you must be humble you you have to clothe yourself in humility because every the clothing that you wear telegraphs Everything about who you are and where you've come from. Think about it. You know this as a parent. Yet it's the reason that you don't let your son or your daughter going out wearing out wearing something that is you know inappropriate or embarrassing. Why do you do that? Well, certainly because you don't want them to be embarrassed, but mostly because you're like, I know how it works. If I send him out, if I send her out looking like that, everybody else is going to think, what were his mom and daddy thinking? What were her mom and dad? What is wrong with them? Because what they wear is a reflection of where they come from see what we wear friends is a reflection of who we belong to. And so if you're going through the days of your life trying to put on a blingy suit of arrogance and pride and at the same time saying I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian, you have to realize no, no, no that doesn't work. It's impossible to 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 say I am a Christian and To be proud, those are two irreconcilable concepts. A proud Christian is an oxymoron because Christianity is nothing if it's not about a person awakening to his or her need for grace. Christianity is the one world religion that is not Predicate that where a person's salvation is not predicated upon what he or she has done, how good that they were, how often they did the right thing or the wrong thing. Or that's not what saves us. It's how every other religious world system works, not Christianity. What is Christianity about? Christianity is about a person humbling themselves before a holy God who saw fit to come and to die on the cross for us. We're saved for his merits by his grace for what he did by our humbling ourselves and saying no matter of what I, however good I could ever try to be, I'll never be able to compensate for my sinfulness. I'm in need of grace. I'm a sinner. I need you, Jesus. That's what Christianity is about. So at the very core of Christianity is humility because it takes humility to come before a holy God and say, I need your grace. I cannot do it on my own. That is Christianity. So you you have to realize, humility is not just sort of like the icing on the Christian cake as if to say, hey mama, I found this really great guy. He's a Christian and he's humble. No, that, that cannot possibly be. They are the same thing. If he really is a follower of Jesus Christ, then he is humble. And if he is not humble, then is he really a follower of Christ? And so if you ever hear anyone say that they're a follower of Christ, but there's no humility, then you know something's not right. That can't be possible. Either that person is going to have to change who they're saying that they are, or they're gonna have to change their clothing. Be clothed in humility. Put the overalls of humility on, Peter says. That's the first thing. At least a second thing, why? Because God opposes the proud. Now this is a sobering thought, that, that God opposes active, I mean it's a military concept, it's a concept of the military general lining up the soldiers, lining up the troops to come against you. God opposes the proud. It means that God is committed to chopping your tree down if you're proud. Quickest way for you to pick a fight with God is to be proud, he hates pride. Now, you're going, you and I are gonna face a lot of uh, opposition in life but I'm telling you what, I don't wanna sign up to be opposed to God. That's one opposition you don't have to take on and you don't want to take on. You wanna be chopped down like a tree? I don't. But what Peter is saying is, yeah, that's what you're gunning for if you continue positioning yourself, even if just in your own mind, superiorly to others. Why is this such a flagrant foul? Why is it such a conspicuous sin? Because when we're proud, don't you realize, we've cut off the flow of grace. And so he has only one thing to do, and that is to chop us down so that we'll awaken. Ah, save me, God. I am nothing if I'm not in the midst of your flow of grace. That's why he has to to cut off the grace, chop us down, bring us low, humble us so that we'll come to our right senses and say, what am I thinking to think that I was so great? I'm nothing if it weren't for the grace of Jesus Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great preacher of a previous century, said, "Be, be not proud of your race, face, place, or grace. And if you are, just know you're coming down. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I remember learning this in a memorable way uh, some years ago when I was uh, working on my tennis game, and I I have a friend who was a tennis pro and ranked and really good, and and we were kind of doing this coaching thing, well, he's coaching me, and... And, but he's a really good encourager as well. It's like, you're doing great, man. That's great, Ken. You're doing great. You're getting better. We do this for a week. We do it for two or something like that. And, and, and I was getting better. And in my mind's eye though, I was listening all, the only thing I was hearing was this encouragement and, and I started sort of picturing, you know, Wimbledon and, you know, things like in my mind's eye, I, I, it got a little carried away. And one day I said to him, I said, Curtis, why don't you serve to me? Not like one of those little soft baby-like serves, you know. But but like, give me the real thing. And he's like, Nah, why don't we not? And let's just keep doing, you know. And and but I came back to it. I said, No, really, I want you to serve to me. He's like, mm, I don't really. think, Nah, I was like, What are you afraid? You think I'm gonna beat you now? He says, Okay, get ready. And so. He goes back, I'm telling you, he tossed that ball up, he arched his back like a bucking bronco, that racket came over his head so fast I could feel the wind, and I remember the kapow of that ball slapping off the court. And I said, was it in? He said, yes, it was in. And and for some asinine reason, I looked back at him and said, well, try it again. as if that didn't show me enough. And so he's like, okay. And he does another one, kapow, just like a bullet slapping off. And finally, I was like, okay, enough, enough. Ha-ha, no more. I'm not worthy. You know, and now what happened? In that moment, I was chopped down. I was right size. I was benchmarked against a real tennis player. And everything was brought. Into alignment. In my mind's eye, everything came into crystal clarity. Now, hold that thought in mind and imagine the stupid folly of any of us going through life on the court of life with God on the other side. And somehow, instead of forgetting who he is, and the grace that he has shown us, when he could have given us much more of what we deserved, and getting our eyes off of him, but instead we start looking up at the crowds, and we start saying, "Yes, I really am all that," you know. And, and <clears throat> imagine the folly we're, we're saying to people. Well, yes, you know, I uh, <laughs> I did start this business all by myself and turned it into the million-dollar business that it is. With the Lord standing right there, listening to us, which he always is, at which point finally rolling his eyes, he sometimes has to say, I'll serve. (laughs) And we're chopped down in that moment and everything is brought into clarity. And we say, I repent, I forgot who I am and who I would be if it were not for your grace, if it were not for your mercy, God. This is the posture, friends, that Peter said we should have day in and day out. Why do we do that, though? Why do we, why do we fall prey to the devil's whispering enticements in our ears and get to thinking that we really are something that might be a cut above all the other people? Instead of realizing the ultimate standard is a holy and a perfect God who could have given us hell because we deserved it, but instead offers us grace. Incidentally, it's... it's I'll give you another word picture. It's the word picture that Paul used. Some of you who were here six or eight years ago when we went through Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, you'll remember it's in chapter four. Paul uses the word picture for this problem of pride. It's the word puffed up. It's this concept. And he says, why do you puff yourself up? If you just always are puffing yourself up, up, don't you realize finally you're going to get so big that you're going to pop. Don't do, and why would you do that? Why would you force the Lord's hand to get out the needle? To chop you down? To humble you? He opposes the proud, so either you can humble yourself or you can wait until he humiliates you. Take it your way. So he says, clothe yourself in humility because he opposes the proud. And then the third thing, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, verse six, humble yourself under his mighty hand that he might lift you up. That you might lift you up? No, that he might lift you. You up. Now you have to realize when Peter was writing this to the Christians, uh, you know, refugees over in, in uh, modern day Turkey, don't you know, Peter, he wasn't just writing something from a theoretical, uh, you know, sort of point of view. Oh no, he had lived this, right? He was writing from experience. You go back into Matthew 26 and that's about 30 years earlier when you have a Peter who was uh, a lot younger, a lot brasher, uh, a lot more impulsive, a lot less sanctified. And you remember the night before Jesus went to the cross when he's having that last supper. And you remember how uh, Jesus says in verse 31 to his disciples, all of you are going to fall away on account of me this night for it's written... I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But Peter, just, <laughs> that's a picture of the scene. Peter hearing what Jesus said, he's, he's so proud at that point in his life, and he nuzzles up to Jesus as if to say, You know, Jesus, you and I both know what a bunch of knuckleheads these guys are. You know, I mean, we, we know this and they are going to be scattered. I'm sure you're absolutely right. And they're going to, you know, run away and but not me, Jesus. No. I mean, you can count on me cuz you and I, Jesus, we both know. <laughs> well, I'm I've always been kind of a cut above the rest. Um so I'll even if I have to die with you uh, you know, I'm not going to fall away. Oh, and Peter, he—I'm sure he meant every word that he said, and that's the problem. He really believed that he would be this person. And he certainly tried to be the strong, um, courageous person in his own strength, flexing his own muscles as big as he could make them, even drawing the sword and chopping off the ear of the soldier when they came to arrest Jesus, only to have Jesus say, no, 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 no. Peter, this is not how we do it. Give the soldier his ear back. This is not how we do it in my kingdom. In my kingdom, Peter, it's only through your trusting humility that I can let loose a flow of strength inside of you that you've never experienced before. But it it requires your humility for that to come through you. So Jesus allowed even Peter to get chopped down in a way that was, don't you know, he was always embarrassed by the rest of it. He knew, I mean, he always remembered what had happened 30 years ago. And that night when he ran off and denied knowing Jesus three times before the rooster uh, crowed. And, oh, he, he always remembered that. So he could speak from experience when he was saying to these people in the letter he's writing. Trust me, you don't want to be a proud person. But that night also became a pivotal night in his life where he was chopped down, where he was broken, where he came to the end of himself. And, of course, Jesus then began the restoration process several days later. And in due time, Peter did become the leader throughout the then known, the world of Christianity that Jesus had always had in mind that Peter would be. But when was that? In due time, it was not on Peter's time schedule. It was in due time. So 30 years later, he could write these words with credibility. As if to say, I've, I've lived this. I've lived every aspect of what I'm talking to you about. So Christians in Turkey and Christians here today, you're going to want to move to the front of the line. You're going to want to position yourself superiorly. You're going to want to, even you'll, you, you, because you want to appear humble, you won't say it aloud, but you'll still even be thinking it deep down in your soul. But don't, just look at, Look at the ultimate standard. Don't compare yourself against these other people. Just don't do it. Save yourself the pain. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Which begs the last question, when is due time? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know for me. I don't know for you. In hindsight, we can look back and see, well, for Abraham, due time wasn't until he was about 100. For Moses, not till he was about 80. For David, not for several dozen years after being anointed and said, you're going to be the king, not for several dozen years. Would he be raised up? For Jesus, not until he went to the cross. But then in due time, he was raised up. For some that Peter was writing to, I'm sure, whose lives were cut short by the wave of persecution that was going on in the Mediterranean region. Um, I'm sure due time for any number of them might never really have felt on this side, like it ever arrived. But they experienced God raising them up on the other side in heaven. And so we don't know, we don't even know if even in our lifetime here on earth, if that due time will come. But we do know that we who humble ourselves will finally be raised up by him in due time so when will it be for you I don't know but I'm just willing to bet it'll be all the sooner the sooner you choose to humble yourself. Let's spend a few moments in prayer. Could we do that right now? Lord, we're thankful for the word that you give to us. It's for our own good, it's out of your heart of grace and love for us. Forgive us, God for so consistently and regularly taking matters into our own hand and saying like Adam and Eve or like Lucifer I've got this I think I've got got a better way forgive us Lord friends in your own hearts and minds right now I want you to just have a moment with the Lord not speaking aloud but just privately or silently and uh, Maybe just right now, ask him, Lord, where is it that I need to humble myself? Let him put his finger on that. Inventory it. Be real. Come clean. Confess it. That means to, to speak with our mouths, which you don't have to speak aloud right now, but in, in your own heart, speak. Here it is. I see it, Lord. Thank you for showing it to me. Do that right now. And as he brings to mind a situation or an individual, um, and you say, yep, that that is it right there. Don't just confess it. Ask forgiveness now for it. After owning it, say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me from that unrighteousness. Do that right now in your own heart. (coughs) And then last of all, after confessing it, And owning it, asking forgiveness for it, let's repent from it. That that word repent means to turn 180 degrees to say, I was going this direction, but now I'm going the opposite direction. Why don't you just repent right now and say, God, by your grace, give me grace. I want to go the opposite direction from that. I want to put on actively, put on the overalls of humility. I want to clothe myself in humility because I know that you oppose the proud. I don't want you to have to bring me down. I would rather choose the path of bringing myself low. Won't you give me grace to repent, to turn around now and to keep my eyes on you? Why don't you tell him that right now? Give us for the multitudinous times that we have in our own mind, if not in reality, cut in front of the line. We never cut to the back. Give us grace, Lord, to cut to the back as we go through our lives to let the banner of Christ be displayed in our lives for all to see so that there's no inconsistency so that our clothing lines up with the label that we say we are, as your follower, as your believers. Give us your grace, won't you, Jesus? Amen.
0: Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hi, and welcome to Postscript. I'm Lou Ann Riley, the Grow Group and Discipleship Director here at FaithBridge. And I'm here with Pastor Ken, who just brought part two of Overcome. And we talked about overcoming pride. Welcome, Pastor Ken. Thanks. Good to have you back here. All right, so overcoming pride, this was a big one. We had lots of questions come in today. Struck a nerve. <laughs> Struck a nerve. And as you <laughs> said, oldest sin affects yep. the most people, been around, mm-hmm. can all point at ourselves and see, mm-hmm. take that magnifying glass and look at ourselves and see. Yeah. And so we had a lot of questions coming around there. So okay. um, let's just get some of the questions out of the way. Let's get this one out of the way okay. because being in an election year and uh, yeah. but we had quite a few questions come around of the political nature mm-hmm. um, and the pride that we're kind of seeing in the news and some of our candidates, yeah. um, can you speak to that?
1: Sure. Well, I could say two things. Okay. having read a little bit about abraham lincoln and his life and his willingness to be uh, self-deprecating and humble to own his shortcomings um, i wish we had a candidate who was like that um who was a viable candidate um that said I suppose it shouldn't surprise us that we are where we are in culture as it is. Because really, the the uh, vice of pride has been <laughs> virtuized mm-hmm. by th- several different aspects of the world, uh, such as Hollywood, mm-hmm. uh, the media... You know, and so it makes sense, doesn't it, that finally the next domino uh, to be affected is the world of politics, where you're almost exalted for being arrogant uh, and prideful. And so I I suppose it shouldn't surprise us that it's come to that, because it's just sort of the next step in our culture's uh, toppling of dominoes, but we've been seeing this in media, in uh, movies, and, and all for years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So here we are.
0: I know. And you talked today about the inverted kingdom and how sure. what we, that does, it doesn't look the same for us. No,
1: it doesn't. And and this is where I'm afraid American Christianity has been diluted mm-hmm. in so many situations Uh Or like we talked about uh, several weeks ago, uh, sort of we we really think, people really think that the Christian track and the worldly track can just be so parallel that you just sort of bounce back and forth. Instead of realizing, no, Christ came and laid tracks at the crossroad and said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to go this way. And there's nothing really similar. Up is down. Down is up in my kingdom. Uh, rich is poor, poor is rich. First is last, last is first. It's it's a different thing. So when politicians come along today, uh, it's very popular for them to say, "I'm a Christian." I don't think that many of them even know what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let alone have they really brought themselves to the humility mm-hmm. that one must come to to become a Christian. Mm-hmm to say, I need a savior, and I understand what the cross was. I think they just say, I'm a Christian, because it's in vogue, Mm -hmm. and they think, well, that's worth some votes out there, so I'll say it. Mm -hmm. Shame on us, and shame on Christians who can't tell the difference or who fall for it, Mm -hmm. um, I think.
0: So a lot of the truths that you you brought to us today, um, a lot of the questions came in just really wanting to know how do we apply some of these questions around that so looking at this um, give us some examples of how we apply just struggling with pride on a day-to-day basis meaning how do we prevent these thoughts from coming into our mind how do we overcome this on a day-to-day basis
1: well two things come to mind Uh, one of them I talked pretty much about but I'll say it again you've got to come back to the gospel uh, to, to, to the, the concept of the fact that uh, God stands on the other side of the tennis court. And so don't fall for the temptation of, uh, you know, looking into the crowds and patting yourself on the back. The moment you do that, go back to the gospel. Remind yourself, where would I be if it weren't for Jesus? Where would I be if it weren't for grace? Where would I be if it weren't for forgiveness? I would be lost, I would be doomed, I would be headed for a Christless, uh, damnable eternity, and take yourself back and re-gospel yourself. Because right there, you can, you can right the, the ship many times if you remember, oh yes, because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus, you've put your eyes on other people or situations, and now you're benchmarking against the wrong thing. To which God says, I'll serve to you if you need me to serve. Um, just to chop you down again, to remind you. Um, So I think it comes back to gospeling ourselves again, and then clothing ourselves, which is that active verb kind of concept. I'm actively going to put on the apron of uh, the servant. I'm actively going to put on the overalls of humility. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That means uh, in the workplace or in the neighborhood or the school or, or whatever. If something needs to be done, I'll just do it. Maybe I won't even call attention to the fact I did it because even there, my motives could be a little bit mixed. So Mm -hmm. I'll just put on the overalls of humility and I'll just do what needs to be done. I'll just serve and move on. Mm -hmm. And uh, in so doing, I mean, that's what Christ did. He came and all he did was serve. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... do likewise
0: okay i have a question around the serving this person asked serving to help eliminate pride does it ever get any easier or is it always hard
1: well yeah i don't think it gets easier um but it gets more meaningful let's use marriage as the great example when two people get married uh Ostensibly, they're marrying for these noble, uh, virtuous reasons. But everyone in the deep depths of their soul gets married because they're thinking, you're going to make my life better. You're going to make my life happier. At the end of the day, I'm getting married because it's all about me. (laughs) And then you get married and you. I'm not sorry. Well, right. (laughs) And you realize you're thinking the same thing. Oh my gosh. And we're really at an impasse. But then it, people that work through that in their marriage and realize, okay, there really is something to this serving. If I will give my all to you and I'll serve and humble myself and you'll do that uh, as well, as we both do that, then what happens? Well, marriage then becomes fun and actually meaningful and enjoyable, uh, you, you know, well beyond tolerable. And in fact, some of the, the, the better, more touching stories you hear of couples that have been married 50 and 60 years uh somewhere along the way they learned that mm-hmm. lesson. Now, did it become easier? Well, no. You, you still I don't really want to do it, but it just becomes more natural to say, but I will. Mm-hmm. Because I know what'll happen if I don't, and I know what'll happen if I do. Mm-hmm. And so why do I why would I have to throw myself back into that classroom and learn the hard way? Let's just do what I know the Lord calls me to do and trust that He'll supply. Um, the the grace that I need in the meanwhile, and the benefits uh, on the other side of it, which many times, not every time, but many times we experience um, uh, as a result. So I I would say uh, not exactly easier, but better.
0: Good. Okay, so in the sermon today, you mentioned two truths. A sign of pride in a person is comparing themselves with others, finding themselves better, mm-hmm. and also that it is important to talk to Christians who display prideful behavior about the importance of humility. Sure. How can someone point out pride in another Christian without being prideful themselves?
1: Sure, very carefully.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, there but for the grace of God go I. And so you better really be checking your motives um, and you better really be making sure, am I doing this because I'm hacked off at him and I don't want to look at the log in my eye, I'm going after that speck by golly in his, here I come. Hmm. Well, you'll get chopped down ultimately if that's your spirit, but on the other hand, in any number of situations we see in scripture, the admonition, no, go to your brother, go to your sister, help them see the perilous situation that they are in, that they might be restored and come to a point of clarity that they would repent um, and and turn around. So you do it uh, fully aware of your need for grace, mm-hmm. not losing sight of that, keeping that in the forefront of your mind the whole way through. Um, and I, I can just illustrate in several instances, uh, one of the, the, the most uh, truth talkinist brother in my life is Pastor Dan, and has been for years, and hopefully I am in his life as well. And uh, I think of any number of times over the years when he's come to me, and uh, about something that he sensed in my soul just wasn't quite right. And maybe it was pride-related, maybe it was other-related, but many times... He just comes in his gentle, mm. um, loving way and says, you know, brother, uh, i just got a question that I've been having rolling around in my head. And even just by the way he phrases the question, uh, I'm nailed. Like, oh, that was good. But I would never question his motives, Dan loves me and I know that and I love him, you know? And, and so this is just Christian community working, uh, in a healthy way. Now, if you're at odds with someone and,
0: or maybe don't have a relationship, you have no
1: relationship or it's a boss mm-hmm. that just fired you. Probably that's not going to be the person that you can, um, have that conversation with, uh, because the context is, is never going to be quite right. Uh, in that circumstance
0: okay so um in this question here um this person writes in and says that as they were listening to your message they're realizing that in a situation, in a relationship in their life, that pride has been a factor. Mm. Um, So much so that the relationship is broken um, and they're not speaking anymore. And during the prayer at the end of the service, um, they were beginning to pray about what could be a next step to mending this relationship. And we're wondering um, what advice you have for this person or for any person who maybe today was in that situation thinking, you know, my pride maybe has gotten in the way of some relationships. What what do I do now?
1: Well, good for you realizing it. I would say that's the first thing. Um, I, I think the second thing would be you're going to have to realize uh, what you do now may not mend the relationship. Uh, some relationships are uh, uh, unreconcilable at this mm-hmm. point there's just been too much trust that has been uh, destroyed and it's not going to come back so so i can't just say so here's your one two three and you'll both be happy again uh, sh- by next friday you know i can't say that but what i can say is uh good for you realizing that your pride got in the way and maybe damaged th- this relationship And if there is any reconciliation to be found, and reconciliation is two-directional, it will be because you humbled yourself. And so that's a good place to start. Humble yourself and change whatever it was that you're now realizing, I should have changed that. By God's grace, get to therapy, get to... You know, a 12-step program, start working the steps, admit yourself impatient, take drastic steps, Um, start paying back your debts. I don't know what it is, but but you need to start setting those things right, putting aside your hopes of a restored relationship. You've got to do the right thing, and you've got to clean up yourself by God's grace now that he's awakening you. Um so that you can say, uh as Paul did in Romans twelve I think it is um as far as it is from me to you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I-, I want there to be mm-hmm. peace. I can't control if if you're going to reciprocate, and I may have lost the privilege, the right, the hope that it would ever be reciprocated, uh, but as far as it is from me to you uh, I'm going to do right A- and when we do that we have to make sure that we're doing it with the understanding you don't owe me anything uh, That's not why you're doing it You're setting things right because you're standing before God who has shown you grace and you've now been awakened to the reality I've boy. I've got a change Good for you start in get help.
0: Okay. All right, so let's look at pride from a maybe from a different perspective How can we be confident in um the talents and the gifts that God has given us. Um and not be but not cross over into being prideful.
1: Yeah, right. All right, so great example. Somebody asked Corey Tim Boom, the great uh survivor of the Nazi concentration camps, um the Christian lady who with her family smuggled Jews and protected them and then she went to the concentration camp. And she became a famous Christian and, and spoke in huge Billy Graham crusades and, and became quite the, the rock star Christian of the 60s and 70s. Um, and somebody asked her that and she said, every night uh, when I'm talking with the Lord, I just take all the compliments that people have given to me. And I treat them as roses in my mind's eye. And I put all of those roses together and I put them in a vase and I say, now, Lord, here, this really belongs to you because you're the one who got me through that. The only reason I have this story that inspires people and moves people and gives people hope is because you sustained me when other people died in the concentration, you gave me grace. You brought me out. And so these roses, they all belong to you. And I think that's a good picture for us mm-hmm. um, because God has put gifts in, into all of us. And we must use those gifts. And we could be tempted by the devil to think, boy, the world is better because I'm using my gifts. No, 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 don't do that. Just say these really ultimately every good gift comes from above. It's just because you were good and gracious to me that I, I give these back to you now, Lord.
0: Okay, so the same question really came in around our children's a- achievements mm-hmm. as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, we're often proud of our kids and what they've accomplished. Should we encourage their achievements? Should mm-hmm. we encourage them and should we be proud of the things that they, they, they do?
1: Sure. Every child needs encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, you are the mirror to your child's forming soul. Um, that that he's, you know, he's trying or she's trying to figure out, am I good? Am I okay? And you're the one who's saying, you can do it, son. You can do it, honey. Um, So yes, you should surely encourage them. I think the challenge for us behind the tapestry as parents is that then when they do, to ask ourselves, now how much of my self-worth is being derived by what he's doing or what she's doing. How much am I saying when I'm at a lunch or dinner with other people, <laughs> let me tell you about my child, you know, um, because that's where we've slipped over. Now we're not encouraging them. Now it, it's the spotlight's back on us. Yeah. And that's where we need to go. Oh, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Um, and just remember, no, the encouragement that I'm giving to my child is because God has asked me to be a temporary uh, surrogate for him. Uh, They're not really my child. They'll be my child for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years until I go to heaven. But my job really is just to fill in for God, help them to realize who they are, that they're they're his, that they might come to know their real father so that then when I'm gone, um, they are connected to him. That's my purpose, and I give them all the love and all the encouragement that healthy parents uh, give. But I fight the battle inside my soul if I start realizing I'm deriving too much energy by his accomplishments, by her accomplishments.
0: Good, good. Well, it's such a great message today. I can't tell you how many Thanks. of the questions were really just... Thank you for yeah, yeah, the message today. And thank you for being here in Postscript. Thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org postscript.